0: Booyah! <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Underwater Sunshine Podcast. My name is Adam Durtz, and today I was determined to open with a booyah for no, literally no particularly good reason. I am here with my friend and compatriot, James Campion, and I'm always up for a booyah, especially early. You know, not get to wake them up, because we're
1: very, uh, we've been, actually you've been very consistent with these. I'm the one who's all over the map. Well, you've been
0: very consistent with the openings of these shows. They don't need to know that. Oh, you mean the openings. The no, eight. that's not true. I called it the Outlaw Roadshow about 50 <laughs> times. <laughs> I don't know whether that fun made fun. it onto the podcast or not. We, no, it did. It made but, one. Yeah, it was good. Um, yeah. Anyways, it, it, it happens a lot. So we, we consistently, <laughs> at least we're consistently getting them out to the people in the world. Yes. We are still deep in the land of guitar pop. And with that in mind, this is my roommate, my old roommate Dave Gibbs and his band, Gigolo Ants, uh, one of my favorite 90s grunge guitar pop miracles uh and <laughs> this is there this is from the album we made together when they were on my label the album was called minor chords and major themes So i'm gonna open with super ultra wicked mega love by the way you got to be from uh you got to be from boston but yeah, wicked. super ultra wicked mega love <laughs>
2: Seems a plus but not necessary Canine man takes feline passion In alternative tunes Hip-hop fashion To explore the unknown outfit Nothing scary
1: that's a perfect way to start uh, this part two of this uh, foray into guitar, you know, guitar, Beatles rock. I just want to say, I was reading along. Adam suggested I read along with the lyrics, which I normally do, but a lot of times I like to, when I'm hearing a new band, I want to hear. I haven't really heard these guys. I know you talked about them quite a bit, but I haven't really listened to these guys. Get kind of the feel for it. But I'm glad I did because uh, the last verse of uh, Biker Boy Seeks Biker Girl and Matching Chaps and Jerry Carl polishing that dual header exhaust, Boo Boo Bear Trembles and Dials. Here's my favorite. Swallowing the miles and miles of Butterflies That Never Quite Get Lost. Of Butterflies That Never Quite Get Lost reminds me so much of when they do, when, when you hear like other bands doing kind of the Dylan thing that he was going through that period with Tambourine Man and after that. You know, just. Throwing words together to make it sound really kind of cool. I like that. It's uh, ethereal and it's poetic. But he's saying but something really. He's
0: talking about like calling someone and you, you're, you know, swallowing the butterflies in your stomach. That you never quite get rid of. No matter mm-hmm. how old you get, no matter whether you become a rock star or what you do, you never quite lose the butterflies. Right. Boo-boo bear trembles and dials, swallowing the miles and miles of butterflies that never quite get lost. It's funny because I've gotten, you know, I'm, I, I once they, they intro me
1: on this with being on the biker, with the biker girl, I picture two people on a on a motorcycle, and I was trying to connect it, too. I was, they, they they killed me with that symbol. They brought me into the symbol of it. I, I was on the bike with them.
0: The song is is a series of personal ads, kind of. Uh, Biker Girl Seeks Biker Boy, a fetching SWF toy, single white female toy. Piercings sings a plus, but not necessary. Canine Man Seeks Feline Passion in alternative tunes and hip-hop fashion right. to explore the unknown out there, but nothing scary. They tell themselves things might be different this time. They only know that they're hoping to find... Some kind of super ultra wicked mega love. Later on, captivating chocoholic lives bane but dreams bucolic, looking for the type who'll bail some hay. A very large, sensitive bear seeks boo boo with honey hair into rollerblades and negligee. And then, you know, the chorus. And that last one, biker boy meets seeks biker girl in matching chaps and jerry curl, polishing that dual header exhaust. That is a phallic reference yeah yeah. boo-boo bear trembles and dials swallowing the miles and miles of butterflies that never quite get lost that's a great line too i think i mean it's a it's a funny like a a medley pop song oh it's
1: a rock song
0: no doubt about it you know what this reminds me of
1: with the super
0: wicked reminds me of that spinal
1: tap you know that that bit in Spinal Tap where he goes? Uh, no, we're not going to say duh. that my
0: fucking friend's band duh, duh. reminds me of Spinal hey, Tap.
1: The Spinal Tap is fantastic. I love Spinal Tap, but it is a rock song. This is a rock song.
0: <laughs> yes. no it really doubt is. about it. This is a heavy rock. I the but second it's beautiful started, in the verses though the verses it breaks down to biker boy meets biker girl, no question. Is matching but I
1: wanted to bring up by, back up to the core. To me, the chorus is absolutely a chanting, uh, Oh yeah, Quiet absolutely. Riot. I love that kind yeah. of rock. Uh, it's thing. the same
0: thing we we're talking about with. Uh, the sweet or uh the raspberries sure. going from the the heartbreaking pop this one in it that song in a lot of ways really resembles uh the raspberries one
1: it does this is yeah. the opposite because the raspberries in like go all the way it opens with that and then, yeah. all the way. and then it just goes into like this ballad this is the opposite you know the the verses are very beatlesque and then when it gets to the chorus it's rock
0: yeah, yeah very yeah. much so and then
1: some of the guitars you know, oh, da- yeah. it's got a blues. This is the first kind of blues-based rock that we've played. Like in the first podcast, when we when we discovered this, the thing that separates the Beatles from whatever was going on in, in England after the Beatles, which was the blues rock uh, explosion, starting with the Stones being ostensibly a covers band, and then the Cream, and and Jimi Hendrix with the um, the uh, the power trios that ended up dominating the late 60s in England. You didn't really hear a lot of that in the last podcast. It was very much the Beatles, jangly, pop, 50s, Buddy Holly, we talked about it, the riffs from Chuck Berry, the, the harmonies from the Everly Brothers. In this case, this has got all the different English kind of styles yeah. flowing in there. Yeah, yeah. This
0: one is, uh, I want to play another one off the record. I love the title of this record, Minor Chords and Major Themes. I just think that's a great uh, yeah, it is a great play on the and, word. And there. before
1: we exit the Spinal Tap reference, I just want to say I'm saying that with all due respect because <laughs> the songs on that record are fantastic. Those guys did a magnificent job. Yes, they did. They, they did. I mean, those songs are just great songs. Um, you know, maybe Big Bottom we could probably
0: pass with that. No, but, oh, talk <laughs> about mud flaps. My girls got them. We're not leaving that behind. Um, <laughs> there
1: we go. This all
0: one, right. I think this next one, I'm actually singing the backgrounds on this song. Ah, okay. I'm pretty sure that on um, the Big Lie, I'm singing the backgrounds. Um, same record some of them anyways yeah yeah this is the big lie the, the, this was the first single off the record not that uh, the bastards didn't play us uh, but this is the big lie
2: I could tell the skin right off a snake twist the truth around and watch it break but I still can't get through to you I could talk a zebra from a- Convinced today to turn into tonight Still it's something I just can't do And you see Everything you think I might be Everything that you could want Everything you've never had Anything that you could need Something I could never be I could talk the clouds down from the sky And I could stop the breeze as it blows by but you know besides nothing new.
1: song
0: yeah I that love is it.
1: An, that chorus is it's a great chorus. Hell, holy shit
0: yeah I, I could never get that song out of my head when i was Not touring together i could that song was stuck in my head forever especially after, actually it was, it was when we got out of the studio that i really couldn't stop singing it you know we lived together so i was pretty annoying rolling around the house uh singing that everywhere i went
1: <laughs> well i'm sure you got a kick out of you singing his song but yes that is that's a great chorus uh,
0: what, when did when did this record come out? I think this is two thousand two as well. I'm not uh let me think. It is no 19, 1999 I guess it says. Uh I thought it was a little because oh it maybe we're they're making it right after we made uh right after right before we made uh This Desert, desert Life Desert Life. Yeah. I was thinking it was a little later. Um So you were in LA at this time. Yeah, oh yeah. We lived together uh in Cocktown in the big house. Right. Um yeah that was great and we did many tours together it was a lot of fun all those years getting all all of us getting to hang out and live together travel together it was me Emmer uh, Dave Gibbs Tom our tour manager lived there for a while Andre Carter uh, different points uh, it was a house full of screenwriters when Red Griffin and uh, uh, Charlie Brown lived there um, and then later it was more musicians when it was Andre oh and, and Isaac Uh Ike Webb lived there as well. And then later it was more songwriters and musicians when Immer and uh, Andre and Dave Gibbs uh, – Gibbs was there for a lot of it. He's also the uh, the Dave in the movie uh, Freeloaders, and he's the co-writer of Freeloaders. He wrote the screenplay for Freeloaders. Right, right. And we, I was about to say that's immortalized yeah. in
1: Freeloaders. Yeah. And it, it's – I think it's interesting – We've never really talked about this specific thing. I mean, Emma and I broached it one time, but it's great that the two of you guys lived not in squalor, but you lived in a very, you know, in a very weird section of uh, uh, berkeley or oakland and and next to that train. oh, oh in the in warehouse. warehouse
0: across from the ink factory and then yes. you lived in this mansion in did. la <laughs> i was gonna say this was not squalor this was a massive mansion i'm just saying what a, what a, you know that's not, quite a ride with the
1: two of you guys and it's great too because he wasn't in counting crows at first and then right around this desert life he joins counting yeah. crows because he's on every damn song and yeah. he gets in there and then he, you guys are living in this
0: giant you know a palatial estate. Well, it's funny because I, when I first moved down there, I lived in this cottage in Laurel Canyon. This tiny cottage, um, but there were just as many people living there with me. All these songwriters. Right. Henry was perched above the garage. Red Griffin was perched above the garage writing stuff. Peter Stewart was there for a while. The guys in Remy Zero lived there. Hmm. Uh, Is that the Christina Applegate? Yeah, right. the, yeah that yeah. was. She was my, our landlord. My landlord, <laughs> and it just became. I mean, I loved that house in Laurel Canyon. It was maybe my favorite place I've ever lived until here. But I had to get out of there and buy a house because there were too many of us. It was a tiny little one-bedroom cottage, and there were ten of us there at times. So I had to, I bought the mansion. I finally I realized you know I've actually got money now. I could do this. I, I've actually you know two albums into this, almost three three albums into this. Really, uh, it was when we were doing this desert life that yeah, I bought I should it. have a house. I, I should get a house for all my friends. You know to live because in. <laughs> I, I, I'm overrun with people, and we might as well have a place where we have bedrooms. Um, instead of everyone being on well, couches, you
1: know, my fa- we've talked about feelers before. One of my favorite lines in that is, you know, the guy's got the, his, his his girl. He's trying to bed, or he's he's in bed with her, and there's like gold records and posters of Counting Crows all over the place. And she goes to him, "Man, you must be really into Counting Crows." And that he goes, it? "Yeah, yeah, I love them. They're my oh favorite. yeah, they're my favorite."
0: <laughs> yes. that's on the couch in the living room. That oh, scene. Is that that's that's it? right. Okay. It's Fritz on the couch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. So Dave wrote that, uh, you know, and, and he's the main character in it as well, a version of Dave, kind of, right. you know, as the musician. But I was Played gonna, by Josh Lawson.
1: Right, yeah. That, again, everybody, that's a very underrated movie. Check it out. So I was going to say, and Adam is fantastic in it, in his, in his short uh, uh, um, little. Um, what would you yeah, call Yeah, now those? you're going overboard. No, no, what, what, what would you call
0: what you do there? They're. Um, Co-starring role, no cameos. Cameo, cameos. thank
1: you. Um, but it's a key element because you're kind of like this floating. Uh, and there's character. four or
0: five of them, so they're really they're really more of like but it's that's bizarre a fair cameo. I'm playing uh, the, myself. The phone one is the best.
1: But uh, anyway, I was going to say that when you first played the first song, and I was saying it's a real. i going to say song. the
0: phone one. Uh, we didn't use the film of me. In that one, we just use the audio, so you hear me on the speakerphone, which is funnier. But in the in the in the actual film, I'm on stage, like after sound check, in this theater, in some venue, uh, in fully dressed in a rabbit costume. <laughs> <laughs> it's completely dressed in a rabbit costume, but they're all on the phone. Right, that's just the. It was better without me in the costume. Yeah, it's funnier. Although the
1: the rabbit costume would have been good. I've seen I've seen photographs of you like on the Howard Stern show with that bunny costume. Oh yeah, I
0: wish I could find that costume. Anyways,
1: so anyway, I want to say that when you mentioned them touring with those guys, when you played the first song, this song too, but especially the first song, the whole time I'm listening to it, going, I would
0: love to see this live. Oh man, they're so they were so good live. They still play every now and then. They uh, they're really big in Spain, and so they go there a lot to tour. Um, whenever I'm in Spain and I talk about gigolo ants, people are like, oh, you know the gigolo ants. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. Um, <laughs> Who are you again? <laughs> no. Gigolo ants, though. No, so I want to I move on to a different band now. I want to go to the Posies because uh, the Posies are an interesting version of this. They start out sounding a lot like some of these bands. They're a Beatlesque uh, harmony on their first record, Dear 23. They're a band from Seattle. They really have a lot of... Uh, a lot of what you know, kind of fountains of wane in them in some ways. Yes, and they were were they pre grunge or post grunge? Both. They're they're a part of it. They they're are, really there. Right? Yeah, they're really a part of it. Because the first album is like ninety two, I think. Dear twenty three, I think it's something around that. And then uh ninety one or ninety two. But then their second album they do with Don Fleming, it's in nineteen ninety three. They were our label mates at Geffen. Uh, the Posies. And so this was like I saw these guys play so many times and I I really liked these guys personally too. Uh and there uh Ken Auer and I'm sorry Ken Stringfellow and John Hour, the two lead guitarists, guitarists and bass players occasionally for uh and the both songwriters and singers for the Posies were the band uh they were Big Star. I mean when Big Star got back together and we played those gigs together, it's Alex Chilton on guitar and Jody Stevens uh, on drums, but it's also Ken Hour and, and, I mean, John Auer and Ken Stringfellow on bass and guitar. They flip back and forth, I think, on bass and guitar and singing all the harmonies. So they, they were in Big Star those years. Um, and that was really cool, too, because they would just do it in their spare time. Um, but uh, in 93, their second album, which I think is the first that's on Geffen, uh, they come out, they make the record with Don Fleming as the producer. And like us with Recovering the Satellites, incorporating a lot of the louder stuff we wanted to do but maybe couldn't do on our first when we first started out, we didn't have Ben or, or Dan in the band then. And, uh, and we weren't really developed enough to be writing that kind of material. But by Recovering the Satellites, we're able to completely rock out and play much louder music. Um, which is
1: immediately evident on that record.
0: Yeah, and it's immediately evident on Frosting on the Beater, which is the second record. And they just come out right out of the gates just rocking the fuck out of things. And I, I want to play the opening song off that record because this is, I think, when they really started to develop who they are as a band. You know, they... I think they they were showing what they were as songwriters and some of the tunefulness of who they were on Dear 23, but when they came out on Frosting on the Beaters, that's the band I really remember. Like, I remember seeing them play at Tramps here in New York one time when I was here on tour and they were just happened to be coming through playing and we had a night off I went to see them play at Tramps. And they spent the entire fucking set pogoing. The entire set. They just blasted guitars and they pogoed because they, you know, they had their punk roots too. Right. You know. And this is very pogo-esque music. Yeah. You could pogo the shit out of this. So I'm going to start off with that song. This is the first song on that record and it's called 1992 Frosting on the Beater is the record. This is the Posies with Dream All Day.
1: Adam, while I was playing, if, if, you don't, if you don't think that the Posies were not a huge influence on what Dave Grohl would do after he left Nirvana and with the Foo Fighters, especially those early demos, which are my favorite Foo Fighters stuff, I I love the way the phrasing of, again, the phrasing of the uh, lead singer there is not overdoing it at all. He's telling a story in a way. It's, it's uh, the, the vocal is kind of reminiscent of what you were telling me that you liked about um, the way that Eric Hutchinson was singing some of his new songs when we played that in an earlier podcast. Um, he's just right there flowing along beautifully. And then the chorus is great. Very um, uh, infectious. I love it.
0: Yeah, they were, you know, I, well, we were all label mates too. That's another thing that it's important to remember that we were, not only were we all on GEF and we were all in DGC, Nirvana, the Posies, and Counting Crows. We all knew each other. We were all signed by the same guy. And there was a certain atmosphere of a campfire about that group of bands where we all, we would go to barbecues at Gary's house occasionally. We all, we all knew him. And like I said, we knew each other. I met those guys very, very early on. I think before we'd even made our first record, I met John and Ken, Again, Maria McKee and her band, which included the guys from the Jayhawks, so the Jayhawks as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, We're all part of that kind of group of people that were hanging around DGC right then. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely certain there's no way. They would have been listening to Nirvana, and Nirvana wouldn't have been listening to the Posies. Probably. Right. Not only that, they're all from Seattle. Right, they're 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 from they're literally coming out of the clubs together too. When I
1: hear that song, you know, we talk about like uh, what informs of the songs or what it reminds me of. I do that a lot on this podcast, but in that case, I was thinking, geez, I mean, that sounds if if that would be a Foo Fighters hit right now. I mean, well, I think
0: the Foo Fighters like sound more like the Posies than they do like Nirvana. Correct, sure. no yeah.
1: question about it. And and that A. but you know, the other thing that should be said about Kurt Cobain, I mean, his favorite band when he was a kid was Queen, and when he recorded the first album. And I only learned this through the that that great classic album series that was out. They were talking to the people who worked on that record, and they was saying how they asked kurt you know your 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 voice is very emotional, but it's kind of thin on these. You've got to double these vocals, and he's like, "I'm not doing that. that's phony bullshit." and they said, "You know John Lennon doubled his vocals every time, and he's like, "Oh okay." Like, that's what convinced him, you know, because he said John had a unique voice like yours, an emotional voice. But by doubling it, you kick it. And I think that really adds to the way those those songs are are recorded, especially on Nevermind, which is more of a pop rock out, even though it's punk and, and very unique. It's polished. There's as not it, as
0: much doubling on Nirvana as there, there really is on Foo Fighters. He sings everything oh yeah, that yeah, way, yeah. really doubled. Yeah, um, but, and it sounds great with his voice. There's less of it though with the Nirvana stuff, right? Except I for it was, big moments, yeah. right?
1: Big moments, and 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 especially like on um, uh, uh, Teenage. Uh, but anyway, so I was going to say about that that about the Posies is they come they i think it's great that they do straddle the grunge thing because they don't go into that direction they're very original in their own way the first album i don't remember the first album that much this one i do i didn't remember this song but do you think that they change not only just did they kick it to another gear like you guys did on satellites on this record or is this a a natural progression into this record for them
0: beats me i mean impossible to know they do it does definitely change a lot um you know, I don't know whether it's influenced by Nevermind or, you know, they're they're we're all a product of our environment and the right. things we hear. It's possible that before this album nobody was playing really loud stuff like that, except for maybe uh Mud Honey, I guess was up there then and uh, but I mean I don't know. They they come out this album is very much louder, as as is Recovering the Satellites. It's just a much louder record than the one before it. And certainly both of you, I mean, the
1: the two guys who played with Big Star, and then, of course, you played on that that bill with Big Star, and you're a Big Star fan, and then both of you guys come out, you know, with these records as follow-ups to your debut albums. And, um, you know, I mean, Big Star just resonates in that song, the way they structure the choruses. I like the second voice coming off the other voice, you know, sort of a descant there, you know, like sort of an echo And then just the verses, too. I mean, that song, there's a lot of stuff going on in that
0: song. I mean, like Big Star, it's guitars and riffs, but there's also harmonies. It's funny, the next song I wanted to play is called uh, Solar Sister. And it's always reminded me of You and Your Sister, uh, which is the Chris Bell song from I Am the Cosmo. It's a beautiful acoustic song, Mm. but just thematically. Because I guess it's also the reason Big Star's third was at one point named... Uh, sister lovers, that was the other title for that record, because Chris Bell and Alex Chilton were dating a pair of sisters. I'm not sure if they were twins or not. They were dating a pair of sisters, uh, and so they wrote songs about that, including "You and Your Sister." But this one always reminded them because it's called uh, "Solar Sister." But this one, it, the harmonies come in more, and you really start to see sort of the uh, the 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 way they're working with melody. Like "Dream All day is a little bit of a heavier song. Like this one, he's singing, you know, muted to a whisper. Spin your solar sister. They're really using that, making the melody happen without words, just in the, the last syllable of the word, the er syllable, and they repeat that theme like melodically throughout the song, um, and the harmonies just come like they're cascading over each other and they're singing of it. Um, I'll just play it for you, you and see what you think afterwards. This is the, this, that's that was the first one. This is actually the second song on the record. This is the Posey's Solar Sister.
2: I call you Sister Carrie, but I never say it. You to a whisper. It's been your solar sister. A magnet will deliver.
1: Pointed that out about the way they phrase that in the verses. But the end part you can read Sister Carrie, read Sister Carrie, read that's really cool, man. Yeah, isn't it? It's really, really cool. It's and a great
0: melody line in that song. Just that. that, that. That's yeah. it. At the end. They, they they could have built a whole song on that. And they they build it and build it with harmonies that start coming cascading down over it, sliding down through the melody. There's like a weird Eee. it's sliding down through there's a harmony doing that like, <laughs> and that weird guitar part there whatever the hell is going in on in the like. middle that reminds me of Dinosaur Jr. also Ooh, around that point very much the, so. the guitar playing in the middle because I forgot about that while they're pogoing they're trading off and playing just like searing guitar solo after searing guitar solo in this concert because those guys could fucking play their asses off and they're like full on Neil Young meets Jay Maskus right that's a pretty blistering solo with oh, a kind yeah. of great... Whatever they're doing with the... No idea. ...sound on it. They're mm-hmm. just like... It's, it's starting to feedback, but not quite, and it's really mm-hmm. cool. Kind of reminds me of what the F- Flaming Lips do in a lot of their instrumental... Or like the
1: bridges that, you know, they throw it in there. And we shouldn't forget about the Flaming Lips because they kind of formulate... They're, they're a little oh, yeah. bit more bizarre. They go more into the Zappa style of what I was No, we should about. include them in the next one, though. Absolutely. I agree. But I didn't want to leave this song without uh, about that final verse... Which is really good. I like this. As a writer, i really come to this. I'll close my life and let you teach me a new story. And now the way he sings new story, too, should not be ignored. Out of the pages of your mind and magnet will deliver. So spin my solar sister. Then he says, and you can read Sister Carrie read." So you, I forget it because they sing it so beautiful. But she, he was gonna, she's going to read. I think it's so great. Read me a story. What's going on in your head. You know, tell me a story, and then I'll learn about you. And they're kind of reprising what he
0: said earlier in the song, too. I'll call you Sister Carrie, but I'll never say it. Mute it to a whisper and spin your solar sister. And Magnet will deliver an arrow from the quiver. I'll call you Sister Carrie, but you'll never hear it. Fifty minutes later. As time pulls down her fader. That's a great line. As time pulls down her fader, mm-hmm. which is what you do when you're mixing a record. You slide the fader down to end the song, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And nibbles off the fakers who roll under the breakers. I'll close my eyes and listen to you read the story, knowing I'll soon be left behind. So once you read Sister Carrie, Sister Carrie, always the patient one. Like, I'll let you listen to you read the story, knowing I'll soon be left behind. You know, you're going to move on without me. And then the next verse, uh, I always love when the title of the record is in a song. And I just get a kick out of it when it happens. So I try and throw it in my songs all the Mm -hmm. time. I love those moments like, you know, this desert life in High Life. Uh, I'll call you Sister Carrie. I won't breathe a word. Frosting on the beater. The flag trips down the meter. You thought you could defeat her. You're lucky you could meet her. I'll close my eyes and listen to you read the story. But I'm already far behind. So won't you read Sister Carrie? Sister Carrie. Won't you read Sister Carrie Jean? Sister Carrie... Always the patient one. Yeah, I mean, I, lo- I really love that song. Yeah,
1: it's good. You almost, you know, thank you for sending the lyrics over because, uh, you know, again, you might miss it because I'm listening to the song and how it's structured and the great singing in there. And when you mentioned the uh, this desert life thrown into a song, for, you know, as the, the, um, the title, what was the one, you were joking about it a long time ago, many
0: podcasts ago, about how you put the name of a song of the next record... I was joking that you keep putting it in the record after that, because I wrote August and Everything After and left it off the record. Right. And then when we were doing the second record, I wrote Recovering the Satellites. And they were like, well, you should put August and Everything After on this one, and then you're Recovering recovering the Satellites on the next one. (laughs) And I was like, well... Uh, I know what you mean. Though. I thought about it. It was funny. <laughs> that would have been classic you. But I was going
1: to say, that, for the life of me, for weeks after that, I could not remember a, an, another example of that. And you know what's a great example of that? Sheer Heart Attack by Queen. They named their second album Sheer Heart Attack, but the song Sheer Heart Attack is on News of the World. Oh, there's another one, too, that I'm thinking of right I, now. I, 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 was the, so, oh, I feel so huge weight now that I've mentioned it to you. Because for the longest time, I was like, what is it? Why, why couldn't I conjure that that day?
0: Well, um, also Houses of the Holy. All right, but you did mention it that day. You yeah. had an example. Also I had nothing. That's what I thought of. That's right. I had nothing. I'm trying to think of what they were. Uh, I want to play because a lot of these songs have things in common. They have guitar playing. They have uh, hooky, really hooky songwriting. Um, great lyrics and uh, and the harmonies. A very common theme throughout a lot of the stuff we're playing mm-hmm. today is they all have these harmonies. Um, and but guitars, one of the things about yeah. the Posies is the guitars are crazy good to me, and they're and they're much more aggressive than they are and i wanted to play this one song that isn't as much about the harmonies but uh it's a it's the last song on the record uh called coming right along because it really features it's just guitars really it's like and it's it's guitars and space for most of the song. it's it's open space and guitars and uh and the tones they're working they're really concentrating on the guitar tones distorted not distorted what they're doing uh like you're talking about bringing the more bluesy guitars and some of this stuff, like uh, they'll shock you with the solo, like in Solar Sister, where it's just like, whoa, that's a right. takes you aback almost.
1: It did. But um, when I was reading the lyrics, I looked up at you and I'm like, what is happening now?
0: Yeah, it takes you out of the song for just a moment, you know? Because that's that's it's blistering like that. And man, I gotta say, live they were mind-boggling. They were just mind-blowing good live. But this is the last song on the record, and, I, and it's it's sort of unexpected when it comes in. This is called Coming Right Along.
1: I just want to make this point and and please expound on this because you can probably tell better than me but that is really difficult song to do I don't think anybody realizes how difficult it is to bring across a song like that with just that guitar playing and that guy singing like that
0: well I mean the harmonies are fantastic too yes yeah they make it work by like first of all the guitar playing is fantastic oh it's so it's just so like for a slow song it's actually very aggressive yeah, it's like and, Little Wing. Yes, it's very much like that. It's very aggressive, but there's a lot of open space. Another guy from Seattle, by the way. The vocals come in, and the harmonies, which, are, which set it apart from the other stuff in grunge, is the vocals and the harmonies yeah. really set it apart from that. So not that there weren't harmonies in that other stuff, but it's it's, it's, it's a different sensibility it's mo- and level of it.
1: Right, just the cording there is a little bit darker than the other stuff. But it, I, I just I can't say enough
0: how difficult it is to do that. What they just did there. Yeah, it's very, very powerful. And it's not easy to do that without it just becoming a slog, without it being boring and just like drudgery to listen to, without it just becoming like a something that drags, but it doesn't drag. It's, it's just fucking intense. Right. It's, it, that's right. That's exactly
1: what it is. Yeah. It doesn't lose its intensity. I mean, in, the word intense gets overused in this uh, workaday world. But that's very true. That is an intense song. There's a tension to it that they never let up. And uh, it's not particularly a downer.
0: No, Uh, they keep their focus in there. It's just very, like... Even lyrically, it's not a downer. It's, you know, it's not. It sweeps... It's very aggressive, but... In moments. You know, it's a... Yeah, I just want to show it because it's a different color of what they're doing on that record. They're doing a lot of different stuff on that record. You know, there's a lot of text... There's a common thread between that and Solar Sister and Dream All Day, but there's also... A lot of breadth to those three songs and a lot of different things. You know, Solar Sister is more big star. You know, with with the harmonies and the melody. Solar Sister. Right. Right. You know, Dream All Day is a little heavier, but it actually has some big star stuff in it too. All these bands, you know, they have that real influence in them.
1: And that, that song reminds me more of what I know of the posies. And I don't I'm not really familiar with that song. Or some of the songs you played here, even though I thought I was more familiar with this record, maybe it's later stuff. But it's also really cool. His pronunciation in the song, the way he says, call belated, leave a message. Like he just falls off message and you can hear the G just in there. And because there's not a lot of shit going on around him, except for that guitar, he finds places to lay down the lyric. It's, I I, I can't, again, I cannot reiterate enough how difficult it is to do that song. And and, uh, you make a great point that it could, it's borderline dirge. And maybe somebody listening to it goes, oh, God, I want to slip my wrist. But well, they're definitely making, making
0: dirge like sounds and using them, really low endy stuff, and, and letting the guitar things just hang out there. But it's not they, a slog. No, they're, but they're, they're putting things that are like dirge like sounds in there. Right. Um, their guitars, like bagpipes and didgeridoos almost, they're using them to do mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But they're not. It's just like uh, Immer always says when we're, when we're working on acoustic music with the band, and sometimes it just gets a little limp. And, and Emeril emerald point out, just because it's acoustic does not mean you can be light-fingered with it. You've got to – you need more intensity to play an acoustic song often than you do to play an electric like song. Like what he does with because James Because you Manic. don't have the, uh, the volume to cover, you, to cover it up when you're not – when you're fucking it up. You know, you don't, you don't have that. <laughs> you, 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 and you've got to make it on your own because of that. Uh, and, of course,
1: you know, David M. Gluck does a fantastic job. With with the mandolin live with County Crows, I mean he plays that damn thing like a like an electric guitar. He's pounding that thing, he's wailing on it. He's not, and like I said, when he's playing with James Maddock, it's 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 a balls out rock and roll instrument in his hands. He doesn't, he's yeah. not laying back. He he does some nice little echoes of things and and adds tasty riffs to what you guys are doing. But for the most part, when I see Emmer grab the mandolin, I know I'm going to be hearing some virtuosity there. It's not going to just be hanging back.
0: I want to take this off of uh, the Posies for a second and then come right back to them, but uh, I want to play a song. It's another Gigolo Ant song. This is a cover, though, that I've always loved. They're covering a song called BMX Bandits, and I want to play this because BMX Bandits are a band in, in, in Scotland in the early 90s, I think. I'm trying to think when they start. Maybe the late 80s. Not only mid-80s. I didn't realize that. Uh, and members of the... BMX bandits go on to form Eugenius, which was originally called Captain America, the Soup Dragons, and the band Superstar, oh, I which I Super love Dragons. Superstar. I've got a I have got ai want I forgot about that for today. I wish I'd researched which superstar to use, because that would have been perfect for this. And they also, in the case of Norman Blake, go on to form Teenage Fan Club. Um the main songwriter in uh BMX Bandits is Douglas what's his name? Douglas Douglas that returns a little bit more to the grunge there likes in the band as well and on like the third or fourth album he contributes this song and it's a song called Serious Drugs <laughs> and it's sort of talking about how like love and life can be really painful and the guy in the song is saying I just I really need some serious drugs to get through this <laughs> um, it's, I just think it's a great song and I'm going to play you the Gigolo Ants version of it because they covered it on one of their EPs in the middle on this EP called Full on Bloom and uh, it's it's a really great cover of the song. This is also from 1993. Uh, this is the Jiglow Ants covering BMX Bandits. I brought it up because I think in the next podcast we're going to really dig deep dive into Teenage Fan Club. But uh, for now, we'll just give you a little taste of Norman Blake's early work with BMX Bandits as they were covered by our, my friends the Giglo Ants. This is Serious Drugs <laughs>
2: Said, I don't think I can take it much longer. She said, Maybe your tablet should be stronger. Get some serious drugs, you need some serious drugs. Toward time, medicine won't make a change if you want your.
1: inspired me when we first started this thing you know I was like oh you know I wasn't really prepared for it and I started let me me see what I can think of off the top of my head and when I was listening to that it really took me to Big Star I was thinking of the Bangles version of September Girls which I know you told me you saw live and
0: you were like holy shit what's this yeah you know it's uh you can really hear the Teenage Fan Club in that that he's gonna be the guy who writes the concept and star sign later on um it's really audible there you know uh i love that song i love their version of it i just think it's a great song the problem with me i don't fit in you see yeah you know i just i love that line yeah
1: it's good they they do subtle changes to, to to a couple of words in there that i i can't remember now when i was reading along with it that really work for me and the way he sings tabloid almost sounds like tablet or some other thing like he's talking about a tablet you know that you take um but it's tabloid in the in the lyrics for the original song that I found online so I'm reading it so I'm wondering you know I don't know yeah I wasn't looking
0: at that one I've never really looked the lyrics to yeah, that song yeah it's
1: good you know I mean there's not a lot going on there but it's 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 a dark uh, kind of a black song but black comedy in a way um, yeah. uh playing off of that and you know, I always thought it was interesting how I think I
0: don't think I can take it much longer. She said maybe your tablets should be stronger. Get some serious drugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. but later on and later on the little twist in it, which is very Big Star is like get me some serious drugs. I need some serious love. He changes the line yes. there. Yes. You know, it reminds me of the end of the lyrics in uh I Am the Cosmos, the title song from Chris Bell of Big Star's solo album. He that he's outro he's singing uh I really like to see you again. I really want to see you again. I'd really like to see you again. I really want to see you again. I'd really like to see you again. I really want to see you again. I never want to see you again. I really want to see you again. Just that one time he slips. He's alternating those two lines, and then he just slips in there. I never want to see you again. I really want to see you again. You know, it just reminds me of that—that switch, that just momentary switch to a totally different thing you're saying which is how people are like you know you think about things and then suddenly you want something different you know well i was just having a conversation earlier today at lunch with a colleague and i was you
1: know, he was just saying uh you know uh about um a woman that he met that he had been writing um, you know emailing and then finally got to meet up and then they re- really hit it off and uh they're in two different towns and it doesn't really make any sense you know pragmatically and i'm saying you know none of that stuff ever is what you think it's going to be you have to just go with your gut and instincts on that and sometimes it's going to be horribly wrong and sometimes it's going to be the greatest thing ever but you, but you got to do that because otherwise if you re, if you try to think these things out and, th- and that's what where, that's where songwriters do a beautiful job or poets do a beautiful job of getting us there and, and we can we can have that connection moment oh yeah oh yeah that that's exactly what I feel or that's exactly what I was thinking about in this situation. I love the I, 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 I want you, I like you, I don't want you, that kind of thing. It's, it's what we go through every time we're in one of those moments, every time, not just sometimes. Even the ones that work out, we don't you're, – you're constantly never trusting your instincts and that's where songs really hit it for me. They make it for me when, when a songwriter hits that uh, indecision or the um, the perplexity of emotions, which they do really – well on yeah. that song bell does that as well as anyone i mean i guess chilton was more of the what would you say they're two personalities how do they mesh in big star it's
0: hard to say right the funny thing is when i'm listening to big star i completely forget who's singing what mm. i can look back and I go oh that was chris bell that was alex chilton but when i'm listening to it i'm just thinking big star and i i completely forget who's who um anyways th- so that was 93 not that that wasn't that was i don't know what year that is um, that is from 1993, the cover, but uh, I don't know when the original one's from. Uh, anyways, the Posies. We were talking about the Posies. They go away. They tore a bunch. They do the stuff with uh, with Big Star that year, like 94, 95. They come back with the record Amazing Disgrace the next year. Turn it into Geffen. I remember this very vividly because I knew those guys, and they talked about it when it happened to me. They turned the record in, and Geffen said, we don't hear any hits. You know, it's like... A lot of those guitar pop bands, they were realizing there wasn't any place to play them because they weren't all just getting played on alternative radio anymore. Alternative radio had gone really down the grunge line. So like they weren't necessarily playing the posies. They, they didn't have a place to get played. And, and college radio wasn't as like effective as it once had been. And that was really freaking out all the marketing and promotion guys in all the record companies, but definitely Geffen. You know, they had been this great indie record company, but they had some success with the indie stuff. Nirvana blows up. We blow up. Uh, the Posies got some play as an indie indie darling on uh, "Frosting on the Beater," and now they want hits from everybody. They, they, they I remember they did it with uh, the Posies. They also did it with Maria McKee's album "Life Is Sweet." Right then, they said, nah, I don't hear it. Do it. Do something else." And they sent the Posies back. It, I thought it was ridiculous because the album is out of this world good. But I will say this: this song is one of the ones they went and and came up with when they were sent away. They they actually did come up with this song. So, and it's a great song, so no harm. Uh, not that Geffen knew what to do with any of these songs, anyways, because they didn't make any hits out of them <laughs> after that. Uh, but I always think this is a funny song. It's funny in some ways, but it's also very like apocalyptic in a way. It's called Ontario, and I think it's about where the airport is in like Orange County. I'm not sure. When I told you what you wanted to know, you said, Take me to Ontario. When I showed you what you wanted to see, you said, The flower that you planted in me has gone dry. Big birds flying overhead, who gives a shit? big birds flying overhead who gives a shit and they keep coming up to these really like apocalyptic images at the ends of the verses like that uh the second verse when I showed you what I wanted to build and all the enemies would never be killed there'll be a saint living under the stairs so we'll be free of material cares black paint on the walls in summer it's cool yeah it's cool black paint on the walls in summer it's cool I love that image black paint on the walls just like big birds flying overhead black paint on the walls it's these very apocalyptic like rock and roll images yeah Um, I want to go, I want to go to Ontario. When I told you what I wanted to know, you said, take me to Ontario. When I asked you why Ontario, you said, it sounds good on the radio, so go. (laughs) I want to go to Ontario, I want to go to Ontario. Blackbirds flying overhead, waiting for somebody to die. Blackbirds flying overhead, waiting for somebody to die. I love those sort of like dark images that hang there at the end of each verse without really giving you a reason for them. You know, they're just a sense of foreboding while this rock song is going on. Meanwhile, the guy's like, take me to Ontario. When I asked you why Ontario, you said it sounds good on the radio. And it's funny because they were sent out to go write some songs. They come back with this song, you know?
1: Yeah, there could have been a little answer to that.
0: Yeah, I have a feeling because it was. it
1: sounds good on the radio, that's why.
0: And and the tone is a little different on Amazing Disgrace. It's not quite as rough-hewn towards the grunge side as the other one was. It's a little more taut, but it still rocks really hard. And there's like... It's got more punk stuff in it. They have, they have a song on it called Grant Hart about the drummer for Husker Du. Is that right? Grant Hart, Husker Du? Yeah, yeah. What happened to him? They wrote a song about him. That's it? Yeah. Oh, I <laughs> uh, uh, that. <laughs> and it's a punk song, as you would expect it to be. Sure. Uh, anyway, this is Ontario. This is, uh, this is The Posies from Amazing Disgrace. 1996 album. We're running parallel. Their first album comes out the same year as August, and their second album is the same year as Recovering the Satellites. Uh it's not their second album it's actually their third they're they're one ahead of us but we're running parallel on our releases at this point so this is the posies from Amazing disgrace this is the song they got sent out and they came back with Ontario
2: when it tells you what you wanted to know I said take the-
1: Yeah, so I remember that song because it was probably played on the radio. And it's funny, Geffen got their hit where I hear something and it's poppy as hell. But eh, it's subversive because it's yeah. depressing. It? <laughs> and, you know, he says shit twice in it. And it's, you know, it's they did a nice job kind of tweaking them, I think. They came up with the poppiest song and then the lyrics are, you know, I want to shoot myself in the head. Um, yeah, it's it's blackbirds flying overhead waiting for someone to die and then repeat it over and over again into the fade is, is um, you know.
0: Yeah, it's powerful. It re- <laughs> it's like big there's, birds. Fly- I love the first one. No it's fool even more. You. Big birds flying overhead. Who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> big birds flying overhead. Who gives a shit? You know, it's like. No,
1: they're just flying overhead. Who cares? Oh, but I see now. They're waiting for someone to die. <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, they don't tell you what that is at first, you know. <laughs> That's burying the lead uh yeah that's good. you know I mean the posies are very, very elastic in their presentations i mean you're you're showing all the different sides of what this band can do uh and how they can present songs and again um that shows a great deal of not only um versatility in the songwriting but also in the arrangements of the songs the way they're played i mean nobody's going in and say this is a particular this is this kind of style it's not i mean I guess. As we're saying, Beatle Maniacs or, or guitar rock band. But the stuff we're playing in this podcast as opposed to the prior podcast, as I mentioned earlier, is much heavier. Much oh, yeah. more rock and roll songs, you know
0: because they were. They're they a much louder band. I mean, they were really in that tradition. Um, they came from Seattle. They were, they were very uh, Jay Maskis, Dinosaur Jr. plus the Beatles and Big Star, you know. They have all those same roots as is evidenced by the fact that they are big star. Eventually, Um, they are half of Big Star. Um, The opening song on the record, I think, is also one of the things that sort of like fucked with Geffen because it's called Daily Mutilation. And he's talking about like uh, going through life with somebody. You know, we were just a pair of dice when I let you in and the numbers were aligned as the wheel grinned. And the center of your eyes was a lucid lake and the little trust you gave was a big mistake. It's a daily mutilation as I walk along with you, a daily mutilation and a bludgeoning review a daily mutilation, and I'd like to see it through, but a daily mutilation, a daily mutilation just won't do. You know, I mean, and, and I think the... uh you know, it's funny. They were looking for more fun, and 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 right. the poses gave them a fairly intense record, you know? Yeah, and I was going to say, you know, repeating mutilation
1: <laughs> over and over again, again, is very subversive, but it's a very musical,
0: rhythmic word. Oh and the and the song itself as you'll hear in a minute has all kinds of melody to it. It's just it's like the guy said, have you ever considered making it you can count on me? Yeah. I, you know I've what I mean? We talked like, about that before. Can you just get rid of the apostrophe T because it
1: really would work. And but I think you said we were talking about it in that in the Zevon um podcast because your your point was, you know what? There are a lot of songs where the verses people love the chorus and they just ignore the verses. And if that yeah. was, I can count on you. Can count on me. People are like, oh, that is so sweet. Even the rest of the song is like a mea yeah. culpa. Um, you know, yeah. So that is there's a, there's a, a there's a big difference in the apostrophe t. Yeah, certainly.
0: Check out this one. It's just daily mutilation. This daily. is actually the opening song on the record. <laughs> daily mutilation. It's by daily. My. It's not just <laughs> occasional. <laughs> it's it's it keeps coming. <laughs>
1: Was the most Beatlesque of the songs we've played for many, many reasons on this podcast. You might not hear it, but it luckily I had the words, and I was listening, reading along, but also listening just the way he says. And the breads are full of salt, and it's never sliced like that. John Lennon slice. yeah. And then uh, the way they go to that weird chord right on the second vein, they just they just end that 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 stanza with like this weird chord, it just falls on it. But of course, it's full of wonderful puns. Rhyming vein as in weather vein with cutting the vein, uh, V I N, and of course, cutting the vein, which is, you know, talking about daily mutilation. Uh, And then, of course, the, the, I was thinking, we were joking before about it's daily. It it happens all the time, every day. And I was like, like, I was about to joke, like the newspaper. So, of course, they go extra, extra, bleed all
0: about it. (laughs) It's, it's so silly. It's great. But Um, he's got a thing. It's, it's like, it it reminds me in some ways of what's going on on Welcome Interstate Manager. They're really intent upon talking about daily life and how it what it does to you after a while.
1: And it just won't do. And he's sing, he's singing these terrible things and he goes and daily mutilation. It just won't do.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: this is not gonna. This doesn't work for me. Um, and of course, it's it it's not self mutilation. He's being mutilated by this woman uh, mentally, emotionally, all the things you want to say. Uh, you know or whoever it is he 's walking along with uh man woman beast whatever uh there's there 's this feeling throughout the song that you know he 's just trying to get things off his chest, but the way the song just wails along uh, it reminds me very much of some of the, we didn 't play in the last podcast the um the The Fountains of Wayne has some heavy songs like this they in fact of the record that I did the interview with schlesinger with the um the uh, uh the second one, I forget. I think it's you called traf- parkway? Traffic and Weather. Oh, well, the one uh, yeah. after that. Yeah. yeah, it's very heavy. It's a heavier record. It reminds me of that. It's got those kind of riffs that dry. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's the most of the, the, the... As far as the phrasing and the singing and the and the, 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 the harmonies, the way they come in at the second part of each verse, yeah, it's it's a great structured... Uh, and also uh, the arrangement to that song is very beatles with a hard edge, a hard Seattle edge to it. 90s edge that they had there, yeah, and it must be tough to be. I mean, this would be the poppiest. Would you say that the Posies is probably the poppiest of the bands that came out of that era or that? Period no, I think that?
0: they're. But pop is a big part of them, just like it is with uh, uh, the the Jigolo Ants, just like it is with uh, Big Star. Yeah, true. And, yes, and yeah. just like it is with the Raspberries. That's why. That's why I really went to the Raspberries instead of uh, because that combination of everything is such a big part of a lot of this music. Although, you know, I think they are... All these bands are probably more tied in their hearts to Big Star. But there's something about the way the Raspberries made that music, mixing the ideas of the Beatles with the heavier guitars and the harmonies and everything, that made us all think for a moment this kind of music could be big and that people would want to listen to it, even though they haven't come back to it for some reason. It didn't work for Big Star. It didn't work for, you know, the Posies or... uh, Teenage fan club really, except for a brief period, or Fountains uh, of Wayne. I mean, to a certain extent, it does. There are a lot of people who like me, like you, who love this music, um, but it never grasped the the mainstream success that bands like the Raspberries or the Beatles had, or uh, well, the Sweet just had a few singles, really. But the the one the next one I want to play you is kind of the to me in a lot of ways the quintessential Posy song. It's got the big guitars like this. Uh, it's got great melodies it's got all these harmonies and it's a little uh, it's not a straight just a verse chorus verse chorus thing it's a little more inventive a uh, structure um, it's a song called Throw Away on this record I remember giving up the gory details and it left me tongue tied such an elementary sickness now I don't want to think and I don't want to feel I wasn't aware this was part of the deal when I put my finger on a greater expectation but just my luck I lacked the patience of a statesman and all of my language will fail to convey that I'm terribly twisted around what I say. And the message that I threw away, I don't have it now. I don't have it now. It's good. So I keep hiding and it only grows to hurt me. But time is wasting and I'm watching it desert me. I'm digging a hole and I'm making it deep. I'm starting to question the hours that I keep. And the answer that I put to sleep, I don't have it now. I don't have it now, you know. And then he finishes up with, and so I'm writing with the hope that someone's reading. For all too likely runs the risk of me repeating. But I don't have the guts to prevent the decay. And I'm terribly twisted around what I say. And the courage that I threw away, I don't have it now. I don't have it now. You know, he's talking about feeling the uncertainty in life and the things you go through. And as a writer, the way you express them and leave them out there for people to see. And and finding yourself at a moment where like, Whatever it took to do what you did before, you don't have it. Right, you can't find it. You know, uh, and you, you uh, thought
1: it was you could, you could, you could put it down for a minute, and then it'd always be there for you to pick up. But once you put it down, like he says, I threw it away, and now I don't have it.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, when I put my finger on a greater expectation, but just my luck, I lack the patience of a statesman, and all of my language will fail to convey that I'm terribly twisted around what I say, and the message I threw away, I, I don't have. I don't it have now. it now. You yeah. know, it was something I just did every day back then, and right. it's not here now. I don't know if it's about writer's block or whatever, but you know, that you know that. that could be anything.
1: You know, one minute an athlete can hit a hundred mile an hour fastball, and then you can't. Yeah, I mean Derek Jeter said it the best. He said, "You know, when I was twenty six years old and I went one for twelve, I was in a slump. And I was thirty six years old and I went one for twelve, I was done." Yeah, <laughs> it's a. Sometimes, you know, sometimes look. There are many people who say, and that's true of novelists. I've always, you know, in the writers' field. Well, maybe I only had one book in me. Maybe I only had one song in me. You know, and that's enough sometimes for people. But uh, you want to have, as like it, 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 it's it's depicted in that film Barton Fink, and I just watched it a couple weeks ago. The Cohen Brothers, um, you know, where he says he thinks he's a great genius, but he's stuck in this room and he's trying to write. And he's like, he finally admits he's like, maybe I, maybe I'm not a writer. Maybe I had one shot. I did that. And that's it. And now I'm going to go selfish or, or, you know, whatever. And uh, that's a great artist statement. I had it. I had this thing. I threw it away. Because a lot of people do waste the talent. Or sometimes they waste their time. Or or it could be a a love affair or or a chance at life to get that great job you wanted or that great moment that you wanted to grab onto. and, And you didn't take it. The window is only open so long. And then once you put it down, it's not there for you again. Yeah. It's a deep sentiment, man
0: yeah it's a i think it's a very powerful song and repeating it over and over again i don't have it now i don't have it now and, and you say it with well you'll hear it i can only give so much power and like uh resonance to this the song is the resonance um mm-hmm. and they do it better than i can mm-hmm. here uh better to let them say it for themselves uh so this is the posies uh again from amazing disgrace throwaway and well i just want to add one more thing that the, the, the record company should have looked at this song and thought, oh, this album's fine. This song is amazing. I agree. But I, but I think it's a little too unique. Maybe they just thought it, it just needed a... It's not. A, it doesn't have a verse-chorus thing. I don't know. This Maybe this isn't going to get on the radio. I don't know what. But the, any album that has this song on it, you should be able to look at it and go, okay, that's cool. Yeah. You know, like... Okay. Uh, and let me just say, Amazing Disgrace is a fantastic name of an album. Or anything. Yeah. I mean, the play on Amazing Grace, you know, and Amazing Disgrace. <laughs> it's uh, a... <laughs> Anyways, so let's check That's it out. because this, this is throwaway from the posies.
2: Such an elementary sickness Now I don't wanna
1: That that is ju- I don't know what the hell they were talking about because that is that's a great song. It's the best song. That's the best song. It's that's the, the best fucking song.
0: masterpiece. You know, it really is. But I can man. see why they listen to Ontario. They were looking for something like Ontario for the radio. It's a little straighter. The verse, chorus, I guess. You know, this but is a that best song. It's a fucking respect. masterpiece.
1: In all due respect, this is the best
0: song. You know, it's a combination of like Solar Sister and Coming Right Along. That broken down guitar piece. You know, it's got the the stop and start and the drama of that. But the melodies from like Solar Sister and the other ones—it's uh—it's an incredible song.
1: Yeah, my head's been exploding, man, for like the last hour of wanting to go back to my favorite album, one of my favorite albums of the '90s, Girlfriend by Matthew Sweet. And then you know we we'll play a song later. But when I heard that, I was like, oh god, you know this is what I love about this music. I love this. It's got the humor. The the the, the as, as we were reading some of the lyrics, the the flow of the lyrics, um, the the expression. And the repetitive chorus, I don't have it now sung so sweetly and beautifully because when Adam read it before, as, as, po- as he said many times, it's not poetry, it's songwriting. As, as, as simple verse, it's much more gut-wrenching. But when he sings it, it's sweet. He, he's pouring honey on this medicine. He's pouring like a sweet, like
0: fragrance on this terrible, terrible. But it's dark with the guitars around it, and when he there's, and especially like the last chorus, when they don't when they break it down. It's
1: like a yeah, it goes. But not
0: to the they don't not break it down to the electric guitar. It's acoustic. They break it down to out of nowhere some nylon string acoustic guitar or something that sounds like a little hollow wooden plunkety plunk guitar. It's a texture that hasn't been in the song yet at all, and all of a sudden it's right there. And then the harmony and the electric guitar is just like whoosh right up over the top of it. It's, I mean, it's an incredible piece of arrangement, too. But to stop your song for the I don't have it now part, kind of like they do, and just repeating that, I, yeah, I mean, I just, I think that's a fantastic song. It really is. I was mystified at the time because it's, you know, we're just playing a little bit of these records, but they're, they're, they pretty much are strong all the way through. All the records we've been playing stuff from, Mm -hmm. um, are records that I've spent the last 15 years, 20 years listening to over and over and over again uh, because they're so powerful and so hummable, too, and so hooky, you know, and just so clever as well in the writing that I never I find new things in them all the time. Today, you know, and, and when we're going through this for the podcast and I'm actually looking at the actual lyrics, you know, I'm hearing so many things. I, I oh, really? Is that what he's saying there? Mm-hmm. Even after all these years of listening to these songs. Because you hear it one way after a while, if you're yeah. not reading, like. Yeah, I was going to say that bringing the acoustic
1: guitar in there is, is good storytelling, too. The best thing you could do, and, and the best novels have this, and we talked about before about playwrights or whatever, you, know, you, you bring in a character at the right moment to shift the paradigm of the way the story is going or, or to shift the mood of where the audience is, and that's what the acoustic guitar does there. It just completely takes you out of this rock mode, and it just goes to tell you, oh, I see, this is an elegy. Oh, I see, this is, this is not a rock song. It's a ballad sung over rock guitars. That's what they're saying and to me, but yeah. it really is a breakdown or or, or uh, yeah, yeah, and some of my favorite songwriters do that it's, the, it's in the arrangement, and you've said it a million times too. It's not you know when you write a song, that's the skeleton, then you get with the band or you work it out, and you have to arrange it. Songwriting is arranging, finding out where to put the instruments, where they come in, how they're used, because that will change the way completely change the way you take you, you take a song as a listener.
0: Yeah, when you really love a band so much of that is their style and skill at arrangement because that's what makes a band a band is what you do when you take this little piece of lyrics and music and you make it into a song and that's that's not an easy skill to master that's an it's art very yeah. very difficult i want to play the song song number 1 because these guys really got they wrote a lot of gorgeous Especially when they get the acoustic guitars out, they write some beautiful, beautiful songs that are really moving and complex. And uh, let's just listen to this song, and then we'll talk about it afterwards, and then we'll we'll finish it up with uh, with Matthew. But uh, this is uh, still from Amazing to Great, This this is song number one, The Posies. One Weird, I can.
1: That's pretty advanced stuff there as well.
0: Uh, you know what's funny? Though. I, Because of the strumming nature of that song, in the back of my memory, it was acoustic. And there is a big strumming acoustic guitar running through the whole thing, but that is the least acoustic mm. song. It's, it's completely yeah, guitar heavy, yeah. but I, I was remembering it so differently.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, the... Yes, I understand you're happy. Reminds me of Robin Hitchcock, the way he phrases things. That's yeah. the part of the Beatles that Robin Hitchcock got. Uh, out of it, and I just I, I love this
0: small little bit here, and I understand your hand me down. Tell, <laughs> he just yeah. says tell. I love the not just Robin <laughs> Hitchcock, but I actually love the Zeppelin y part of that. In that they're singing again uh, instead of to the drum roll in this one, the drum fill. They're singing to the guitar like, down 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 down. It's it's like a guitar lead almost that they're singing the vocal to. Out of this strummy v- strummy song, it stops to yes, I understand you're happy now. Yes, I under and the yeah, cut, that's like a progressive song.
1: It's like a progressive rock story. It's got song. a lot
0: of that in it. You yeah. know, very inventive uh, structures without being show-offy. Yeah, no, it, it feels just like part of the song. It's got and it's got this heavy. And I'm a, you know I like I said I'm remembering all this strumming and hearing it as acoustic, but it's also got this very uh forbode like a sense of foreboding in the guitars that sit above it, like the guitars in uh coming around again. Um What's yeah. the name of that song? Coming right along, I mean. Right you no, know, there's there's that in these things, the, there's this heaviness in this echoey guitars, like I don't know whether in the reverb in these guitars that sits over these songs that hangs over them. Like a, a distortion that hasn't happened yet. That's waiting to happen is this
1: yeah, I, I love the funhouse style of this. They're taking you on a ride. There's like a labyrinth of different styles. And there's not just one thing that they're hammering you over the head with and and sticking their band within the structure of that. Every song has its own place and it has its own style and, and and brings it out. And I guess that if that's what they take from Big Star and the Beatles, then that's great because don't be pigeonholed.
0: Serve yeah, no, the song, I mean, there's a lot of, yeah, they is. flow into each other. They work together, but, yeah, there's a lot of – originality in each song, and they are not just, you know, if you were just looking for verse, chorus, verse, chorus, they're not doing that in a lot of these songs. They're much more uh, adventurous song structures, too. Yeah, I I would
1: agree with Geffen on that. I mean, that thing is not a radio palatable song. It's a great song on a different level, but I can understand that the mass – audience wouldn't be attracted to that
0: no not but that the, one yeah but, but I mean the previous song the throwaway, absolutely. Is, is throwaway is a genius it's a it's, brilliant
1: song it is it's um, singable it's hummable it's it's melodic and, and and yeah it's all the things you want out of a radio song I think yeah.
0: so we should wrap this up today but, but uh, let's close it out with somebody who also listened to a lot of this kind of music what do you want to say about this yeah well the only thing I want to say and we mentioned we played it in the
1: uh, chamber pop and we were pushing the envelope in chamber pop and uh, we played this
0: song we played
1: a Matthew Sweet song. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it was Matthew Sweet that not inspired you, but I'm sure you had the idea anyway, but you're like, yeah, this is Beatlemania. This is a whole other... And then we had this discussion in that one. So then...
0: Well, I had already been in searching for chamber pop stuff. I realized that a lot of the stuff I was coming up with fit better under the Beatle Maniac uh, title. Yes. So I was actually sifting people to the side, including the Matthew Sweet stuff. And the
1: Laws. And, and it was funny, yeah. too, because when we, we were we were waxing poetic about the Laws, you were like, you know what? This really might not belong here, but I love this song and I want to hear it, so let's yeah. play it. So, um, but in this case, it really does. This, this album is uh, replete with great melodies and guitar lines and rock and roll. The first song, Divine Intervention, is could be taken right off the white album I mean, he's not even he even has the fade in the back end he doesn't the only thing he doesn't do is scream there's blisters on my fingers so he's really really playing with the Beatles stuff yeah I mean completely not only influenced but unabashedly doing what the Beatles would have done in 1990 but this is um yeah we should close with this this is um Matthew Sweet and I wanted to tell you from his great I believe 1990 or 1991 record uh Girlfriend which I just absolutely love and um can Never get enough of it. There was a question, and someone had asked me the other day like, what, what are the songs that you cannot? I don't know if there's specific songs that I can never ever stop listening to, but there's certain albums that just never get old to me, and this is one of them. As the older I get, whatever is happening to me fatherhood, getting married, getting older, changing jobs, getting published, whatever I these there's certain albums that just grow with me, and this is one of them.
0: I love it. No, it's song. a fantastic record. I, I really love uh, Matthew, of course, sang on Hard Candy for us uh and uh I-, I love this band in general it's it's matthew playing bass uh robert quine on guitar for a lot of it uh i can't remember who the rest of the band was also i'm sort of spacing on it but it's a lot of the same band that's on all the lloyd cole records you know you not the commotions thing. records but the records that come after that the solo records uh it's these guys matthew sweet playing the bass uh the guitar is Robert Quine. I have to look up who the other right. musicians are. You did mention that in the, in the when we yeah. were talking about chamber pop, and 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 I will
1: say, you know, it, I got to Ryan Adams through Matthew Sweet. You know, like I, that's that's the bridge. That oh, I'm like oh, I see what Ryan Adams is doing here. Who also you sang on his record, and he's he sang on your record. So there's a lot of that interconnectivity of these guys who just love this kind of music.
0: Yeah, no, and it's great music. Uh, it's it's very it's easy to love. I will say. So anyway, we're going to finish it off. Are we signing off here? Yeah, we'll sign off and then we'll do another podcast
1: of this. We, oh, what we got in the next podcast is going to be a lot of fun because I like the fact that what happening is – and this is all about my, my co-host here uh, – the idea of taking one band, getting into them, and then interspersing other stuff that really turns us on about that or that reminds yeah. us of that period. It's a great way to use that. So my hat's off to you, sir, if I had one.
0: So uh, this is Underwater Sunshine for the day. We're going to finish out with I Wanted to Tell You by Matthew Sweet. I am Adam Duritz. I'm here with my pal. Oh, James Campion, and I'm having the best time with this. And we will see you next week. But uh, for now, we're going to say goodbye to you with a little Matthew Sweet. So see ya. Peace. Late.